0: Welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast, everybody. I'm Dane Cash, and we have a surprising amount of things to talk about today, even though there's no recapping of how any races were triumphed in. Uh, like, you know, no Grand Tour, no World Championships. That's, there is still a Grand Tour ahead of us, but right now we're just talking about, like, tune-up races and news stuff and yet there's plenty to talk about and we are going to preview the upcoming final grand tour possibly my favorite race of the year at least my favorite grand tour i can't wait to talk about it with my bike racing analyst extraordinaire co-host cosmo catalano cosmo good to see you
1: good to see you too dane
0: and joining us this week abby mickey abby you are in scotland Are you home now?
2: Uh, I'm in Girona for the time being, so it's closer to home than Scotland. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: How are you feeling?
2: Good. Yeah. Uh, Pretty happy to be at least a couple hours away from home and almost home after a month on the road. Good. Yeah,
0: that's good. Well, we have all kinds of interesting things to talk about, but first, I'm excited to tell you, if you're listening to this podcast, that... We are member funded, and you should go sign up to be one of those supporters of the Escape Collective if you haven't already. If you have, we're, well, we're very grateful. And actually, there's a, a few of you who are signed up to be lifetime members that we're going to give a shout out to right here. So, to Ian Howell, Michal Kolasar, Joe Doyle, Jason Baker, and Tim Weber, a sincere thank you for being lifetime members you are crucial to what we do here. And again, if you're not a member, you should go sign up. You should head over to escapecollective.com slash join. Join the very cool community we have over here at the Escape Collective. We've got some some pretty cool people in the, in, the, in the crew of supporters, and we would just love to have you if you're not one of those people. So go check it out, escapecollective.com slash join. You're supporting this podcast, all the other podcasts, including Wheel Talk, hosted by... Abby Mickey, right here on this very podcast today. We're very lucky to have so many great other podcasts. It's not just me and Cosmo. So you're supporting a lot of great podcasts if you sign up. So go do it. All right, on with the show. So let's talk about some bike racing. Let's talk about bike racing that has happened first, and then we'll look ahead to the big races that are around the corner. I'm very excited, Cosmo, that we are hosting the pretty serious bike racing podcast because I feel like... For a very long time, I was just doing podcasts that weren't serious enough to talk about a race like the Bemersa Classics. Because you know Kaylee would would just ignore this. He'd make fun of this race over on the placeholders. And he might in a few days. I don't know. I'll find out. Despite its World Tour
1: race status, the highest level... Of it is cycle. World Tour
0: race. I think that that's the thing. A lot of people wonder why. You know, why is a race like this World Tour? But you know what? I'm pretty serious about bike racing. We're all pretty serious about bike racing. So we can talk a little bit about the Bemersick Classics. We don't have yeah. to spend an hour on it.
1: The race was raced seriously by serious people. It, was, it really
0: was. It was it's a, actually it very was a very entertaining show. finale. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. I got a lot, of, a lot of little things to talk about with this race. So if you haven't seen the race, go check it out. There is a full replay on GCN. Mess Peterson won the race. In a very interesting fashion. And let's start with that. I want to just broad point to start is that Mess Peterson is, is very strong right now. He just won the Tour of Denmark, which is a stage race. That's not really something he does a lot of. And then he won at the Bembersy Classics, formerly the Vattenfall, otherwise known as the Euro-Eyes. They've had a lot of different
1: H-E-W, sponsors. I think, was one of them. Yeah. Which, uh,
0: we'll get to this in a bit, how I think that's kind of dumb. Anyway, (laughs) Peterson, very strong right now. Peterson's team, very strong right now. And I do kind of wonder, can he do this next spring? Can he get this strong for the spring so that he can take on, you know, the Vanderpool, Van Art, Pogacar juggernaut? Because that would be cool. He's been close. He's been very close. And obviously, he's won a world title as well. But this is as strong as we've seen him, I think.
1: Should we recap the race a little bit more broadly or no?
0: Yeah, why don't you tell us about his 600-meter sprint and why that happened and, yeah. uh,
1: uh, Pascal Ackerman of the UAE team was maybe one of the favorites going in. Light favorite, mid-favorite, session favorite. I don't know what you'd call it. Um, But he dropped about 20K to go, and so UAE just threw strong guys at the front of the race, ended up with Brandon McNulty in a breakaway with Yves Lompart and uh, Nils Pollitt, I think. Very strong breakaway of three. Uh, We saw some... Of Pollitt's teammates kind of come to the front as a catch looked like it might happen on a narrow section of road and stop pedaling. Uh, so there, there are this, this. trio is away inside a kilometer. Uh, McNulty tried to make a move, and behind that you saw Mads Pedersen himself, no lead out, just busting out of the field, uh, probably around six or seven hundred meters to go, and he's kind of reeling in that trio as that trio is reeling in McNulty, and. They kind of all come together under 150 meters and you can see the rest of the bunch bearing down extremely fast, punchy sprint at the end. Pedersen comes off of Lompard's wheel, looks back, throws his arms up, crosses the line like milliseconds before, uh, I think, Danny Van Poppel
0: shoots
1: by. And it's uh, one of the Van Poppel's. There's there's a lot of them. So I want to make sure I get the right one. But yeah, I mean, it is like you're like, yeah, Pedersen got it. And then you're like, ooh, I don't know. It's super tight. Um, But it was it was just really super strong, super confident move. And to top that off, like not only did Pedersen do that huge effort to take the win, but he earlier, he had followed a bunch of attacks of kind of the only meaningful climb in the finale. Like again, like super, like I'm just going to go to the front of the race, sit here and pedal hard when pedaling hard needs to be done. Uh, So I would say he has tremendous potential for next spring and I'm excited to see what happens.
0: Yeah, really nice when he actually, you know, for all of his success in his career as a world champion, as a multi-time stage winner at some Grand Tours, including the Tour de France, he won the jersey at the Wealth last year. He actually had not won many World Tour one days. He, this was the only the second one after again, Wavelgum. So good on him. You know, again, I'm sure it's not the biggest win from a marketing perspective. It's a World Tour race. There were some World Tour talents there.
2: That's debatable because their new sponsor... their new German sponsor is going to be pretty happy about a world tour win on German soil by the team with Lidl. Yeah. That's a really good point. Circle. You
0: could see that Lidl Trek took this very seriously. And so did Bora, you know, the German team. Bora was throwing guys at the front as well. Bora had a good race. uh, And as you, you know, kind of talked about in the finale there, there was some, there was some blocking going on at the front for a little bit. One of the many talking points here in this race that I wanted to, go over really quickly because they are interesting. And actually I wanted to take advantage of the fact that we have a former pro here with us today. We actually kind of have a former pro like almost all the time when we do a show. So I wanted to, to, to throw some questions at the former pro on the podcast. Uh, a little ask a former pro segment or three. Actually, I got three different questions for you. So there was some blocking going on by board. It didn't quite work out. They went to the front, didn't go very fast. It maybe helped the escape. Almost stay clear, and then again, Danny van Poppel of the Bora team actually still did finish second, very nearly pipped Peterson at the end. So a nice racer of Bora on their you know German home turf. But yeah, I want to talk about blocking first because it's something that we see sometimes, and I kind of always wonder what what do you do if you're if you're the any other team that's not doing that at the front. How do you get around that? How do you deal with that? Is it is it something that whenever it happens, you're exchanging? mean words. Abby, what, what, what do you do when another team blocks at the front?
2: Well, I think I have been both the blocker and the blocky. Um, and so I can say there is a sense of hilarious, uh, power (laughs) that comes along with it. Like, (laughs) but you have to have the team to be able to kind of back it up. Um, so I was only successfully able to do that on UHC and then United Healthcare uh, back in the day, and then was successfully blocked whilst on Colavita. So I feel like it really depends, and it also depends on the situation. In this situation, I feel like it was a brilliant move by Bora. Um, I mean. Lidl Trek did such an incredible job all day for mess. Like they really were controlling the race from the get go and did everything in their power to make sure that he was in the best position possible and that he could conserve himself as much as he possibly could before that final climb and, and the other climbs that kind of impacted the sprinters coming into that finale and him, him being able to have that acceleration he had at the end, I think in large part was to the team effort um so the fact that there was no Trek riders there when that move went and that mess wasn't there that was it was when he was under the most amount of pressure Bora knew from the beginning that he was probably the rider to beat after how he rode into uh the Tour of Denmark and also how he was at Worlds and how the team was backing him and so for them to have a guy up there see Mess was farther back and block at that moment was brilliant what was weird to me in that moment was the other teams kind of there was a, a very long block of hesitation from other teams as Bora was was impeding the chase and i think it actually ended up helping mess in the end because it meant that he could launch that move earlier on and get a head start on the sprinters because mm. he wouldn't have won had it been a straight up sprint so i think they that while it it looked like a kind of like a nephew to mess and the other sprinters It it actually worked in his favor, but it's definitely a tactic that I think has to be employed with caution because you can be the asshole very easily. Like sometimes it can be used really tactically and sometimes you're just a dick. Um, what comes to mind was, a moment in the Jero Donna Jero Jero Rosa in 2016 i believe it was there's 3 Bulls Dolman's riders and Mara Abbott and the 3 Bulls Dolman's riders were just kind of like side side front of Mara Abbott just blocking every single thing that she was trying to do and that was such a shitty tactic i feel like today was was pretty brilliant
0: how, how do you get around that i mean what do you do if you're Mara Abbott
2: you just get really frustrated and Go ah
0: <laughs> Basically it sounds like people should do this more, but based on the fact that it doesn't sound like there's that much that you can do.
2: No, because it's it's shit. Like <laughs> I'm not saying like, it's it's not mean. No, but I mean I think it I think that there's a time and place to use this tactic and that Bora did it super well today, but that you can't use it all the time because it's very uncool. <laughs> like I just I think it sucks you would you would very very quickly earn gain a lot of enemies in the peloton and cycling is a very petty sport and it is a very small world (laughs) right and you do not want to gain those enemies in the peloton.
1: I was going to say that it is tricky to do as well as, as it has been done in the cases we brought up here. Like, it's especially today is a good example. Like, the reason Boro was able to block is because no one wanted to quite make the catch yet. And so you had kind of some soft pedaling, and this narrow section of road came up, and they were able, because the pace wasn't full on, kind of sneak around and get those bodies in there. And so it can't just be like you're not, you don't arbitrarily have the ability to put a bunch of people in the front and stop or slow down the race. Because usually the road is wide, or everyone is trying to go fast, or they don't mind about making a late catch. But because this is a longer race, it's a classic. Everybody's kind of counting on a sprint. No one quite wanted to close that gap yet, and they took advantage of that. And that's kind of why I think you don't see it more.
0: All right. re agree. Re the narrowness of the course. That leads me to my next question. Ask a former pro. Ask Abby. Dear Abby, the roads today, as, as we're watching the race go into the finish, urban center, it's in Hamburg, which is a big city. And I'm just constantly seeing, you know, narrow streets, winding corner, winding roads, tight corners. Obviously, there's lots of intersections that they're going through, even though, you know, they're going to be blocked off. But it kind of made me wonder, how do the riders always know where to go? Because there are motos in front of them most of the time, and they follow those motos usually. That doesn't always lead them on the right road. It usually does. But if you're in the race, I mean, are, are you... Are you always just following the motos? Are you constantly looking around wondering, wait, did I miss a turn? It, it, to me, it felt like in this particular urban environment where there was, where there were so many potential turns that could be made. I mean, if you're in the, out in the country, it's a different story. But it just seemed like this would be a confusing place, and yet the riders always know where to go. H- how, how does that happen?
2: Well, in a city environment, a lot of the times, the other ways to go are barriered off. So it would be quite painful to try to go a different direction <laughs> than the way that the course goes. It depends how fast the race is going, but also when you go through a city, a lot of the time, that's when radios really come into play, which is why I will always advocate for advocate for radio, radios to be in racing. Because to me, I don't see them as a tactical tool more as a safety tool so radios are radios are huge when you're going through a city um a lot of times the directors will just be coaching you through like where if there's a roundabout coming up if there's railroad tracks if there's a bus blocking the road something like that then they're saying that on the radio constantly so you always know what to expect it's also really just the front of the race that has to worry about these things like the top five, ten people because at, when you get to like eleventh wheel, you're just following the person in front of you. So, if <laughs> if the first person were to go off course, it would probably be chaos. But it's usually like once you get farther back in the peloton, you don't really have to worry about where you're going. You just kind of follow the flow of the race. But yeah, I, it's in a in a city environment like we saw on Sunday. the The roads are barriered off where the riders shouldn't be going and the moto for the most part, like the moto will always lead the way, but you're not also you're, you're not always watching the moto Um, the between the radio and the barriers you that's, what's telling you where to go.
0: All right. I have one more question for you, Abby. Uh, Cool. Why do people celebrate too soon? Why did mess Peterson not just wait like literally a nanosecond? Why does every, why does Yuliana Philippe do this every month? I, I don't understand. <laughs> is, it, is it taught to you as a child that you have to be posting up for the photo every time? Help me understand.
2: I can't help you here because I have never done that. <laughs> um, I feel that Ruth Winder is a really good one to ask because she won when Demi Vollering right. celebrated too early. Yes. So I, I feel like I should defer this answer <laughs> to Ruth. But also, in the case of Mess, um, I think it was pretty clear that he had it. Uh, was it, though? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, yeah, for us, we're watching at home, and it looks really close. But when you're crossing the finish line, you you know if you've won. Like, I think there's definitely instances where you get a little overexcited and <laughs> celebrate too early. But I think it was pretty clear watching it that, that mess won this, and maybe he was a little bit con- he maybe he was skeptical it for a second, like after he saw uh the rest of the peloton coming so quickly behind him. But like, there was no question when you watched it back.
0: Yeah, that's true. When you watched it back, it was much clearer. I think part of the problem was the the number of lines. Like literally, there were paint, paint painted <laughs> that lines was on the really.
2: Room. That may have been why he was confused because yeah. there was a bajillion lines on the road and I couldn't tell what the finish line was.
0: I think Rob Hatch said there were six. So there was a finish line, but then there were also these like style. Line. I don't even know what the point I of think them that, was. I
2: think they were logos. They I were was, sponsorship yeah. logos.
0: Not a good place for it.
1: I think a lot of the appearance of closeness was just also the huge differential in speed, which yeah. is obvious from, you know, big shot where you're looking at everything. But like when you're in the group, you're kind of like, Like, like Abby said, I feel like you have at least, you know, in Cat 3 racing, I've definitely seen some close sprints, but it's like, you kind of know, I don't know, it's hard to describe. People do get caught on the line all the time, but I'm I'm almost certain Pedersen, like, looked down back behind his legs to see what the status of the group was in terms of catching him.
0: Yeah, and I guess he's not a known, you know, repeat multi-offender like Philippe.
1: He's not Philippe who just... Oh, that Liege finish, it was just... It is.
0: Although it didn't matter in the end, because he did get relegated, but yes, anyway. Yes, but
1: I mean, it was lost on so many levels. He lost it yeah. so many different times in, in this much. It's like, great race, throw it out the window. Oh.
0: Uh, all right, Abby is uh, charging. Re-position. She's plugging in her computer, which means now's a great time for me to talk about the extremely talented Tom Squinch, who <laughs> after... Yes, or after yeah, this weekend when he finished in the top ten of the tour of Denmark, I was already thinking, man, he looks so fast right now. And then he was a you know key supporter in a big trek win, little trek win, at the Bemerset Classics today. Tom's just really, we're very impressed. Um,
2: Do you hype him up when I'm not on the podcast? Well, that's what I'm saying. You, you're not oh, around to tell
0: us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, you know, you know, to 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 tone it down. Where I can just hype him without any. Any concern for that? You know,
1: we we, yeah. you know we don't randomly cool? shout him out unless he does some cool stuff. But he does. That's a lot true. Of cool stuff, we, that's true. So. We,
0: we do shout him out when he does cool stuff.
2: You know what's cool is that he's currently ranked forty second in the world.
0: That's really Whoa. cool, actually. you uh, UCI points.
2: Yeah, UCI points.
0: Man, good for Tom's. Yeah. want to we Let's check the you know the, the good old fashioned PCS rankings. Is just because I have that right in front of me. I always have you know when we're talking about. People's... I think he's sixtieth. Uh, he's up to 49 after this week.
2: Square number. Yeah.
0: So take that. Uh, wh- man, look at all the big names below him in the rankings. Good on Toms.
2: Yeah, it's pretty rad.
0: Yeah, good on Toms, good on Little Trek, and just imagine they're going to have even more money now to go sign more big names. And uh, yeah, I would imagine that things are going to be looking up over there. Also, oh, man, I mean, have
2: you been keeping up with a constant stream of new riders coming in? Little track for next year.
0: Yeah, well, Gegenhardt's the big one. Yeah, it's very that's, exciting. That's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be cool to see what they can do in the GC department. All right, I feel like we have talked enough about the Bemersic Classics, unless my co-hosts have anything else to say. All right, that was the big World Tour race, quote unquote, big World Tour race uh, over the weekend. The Vuelta Burgos also happened in Spain. Not a World Tour race on the men's side. But a big marker for a specific rider to have laid down before an even bigger race in Spain. I'm talking about Primoz Roglic. He took two stage wins and the overall title ahead of Alexander Vlasov and Adam Yates. Roglic looks really good ahead of the Vuelta a España, which is a race that he's won a few times. Three to be exact. And we are going to talk all about the Vuelta in this podcast because it's coming up. But first... Before we preview any of the races coming up, there's also the Tour of Scandinavia on the women's side. I do want to ask Abby a quick question here. Maybe we can we can throw over to another podcast this week to get more in-depth on this. But Abby, what, what's going on with the EF women's teams? Can you give us a, cl- a quick explainer, and then maybe if people want more, they can go listen to Wheel Talk?
2: That's a great question, Dane, and I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I am very confused by what's going on i think a lot of people are (laughs) but basically so the two teams were separate um ef education first came on board to sponsor tipco svb in 2022 and that the extra funding made it possible for them to obtain a world tour license so they had a world tour license for two years and then starts the relegation battle, which is another extremely confusing thing that I don't really want to talk about, but does matter in this instance. Um, so going into 2024, all the world tour licenses get shuffled kind of, and thanks to the relegation battle and EF Education decided, look, we're gonna start our own women's team. Uh, part of it was because TIBCO and Silicon Valley Bank uh, are no longer sponsoring TIBCO SVB in 2024 um, due to the collapse of that bank, which was worldwide news. And so EF pulling out of that team as well meant that Linda Jackson, the former owner who's owned the team since 2000. Eight, I believe is when she started that team, maybe 2006, um, it, it, a really long time. That team has been around uh, a fixture in the, in the U S scene. Um, so without the three title sponsors, she was unable to secure any funding. So the team is folding for next year, but EF is starting their own women's team attached to their men's team. So it's going to be EF education, Cannondale. Um, so it's not the same team, but, they have four of the same riders. We don't know who any of we don't know who those riders are, except for Veronica Ewers, who has already been announced. Um, they've also signed a bunch of a couple new riders. Corinne LeBecki is one of those, which is a really exciting move. But because they're a brand new team, it means that they are not eligible for a world tour license. So they're starting on the continental level for next year, albeit with some pretty impressive talent.
0: And we should point out if you're somebody who doesn't know about all the UCI's designations, or maybe you know that the Continental's lower, but on the men's side, there is a intervening designation. On the women's side, Continental doesn't quite mean all the way down third division. So there's only two divisions and a lot of Continental teams race. The Continental teams race the biggest races. That's not the case on the men's side. If you're on a Continental team, you will not go to a World Tour race. So it's different on the women's side. So they'll still be in plenty of big races next year, you would assume, particularly with Veronica Ewers and Corinne Lebecki on the team.
2: You'd think. Yeah. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the what team what races the team does get into. But at the same time, there's a bunch of world team world tour teams kind of merging slash not uh, not really hacking it at the world tour level. So, yeah, I think I think they'll get into all the big races. All
0: right. The obvious question is, why is EF starting a new team and not just investing in the team that they already sponsored? If the answer is too complicated to say here, though, Abby, you could just tell us (laughs) where else our listeners might go for that sort of information.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And I will find out the answer or at least try to come up with something interesting before the Wheel Talk podcast comes out. Aren't you recording that like tomorrow? Correct.
0: All right. Well, no pressure. (laughs) Okay.
2: I have two people to fall back on, uh, Lauren Rowney and Gracie Alvin they are very much in the know so that helps hopefully they can help me
0: (laughs) all right so there's that stay tuned for more we we've obviously got plenty of coverage of that over at escapecollective.com and yeah listen, we'll talk all right let's look ahead at the races coming up before we close things out so the final Grand tour of the year is coming up it's one of my favorite races i'm very excited about it uh Cosmo, we've said this about seven times, although never on this specific podcast because you and I have done this in other places in the past. I think the Vuelta's start list is almost always better than the Giro's and it deserves more love. I don't I don't like the fact that people write it off because they're tired of bike racing because who gets tired of bike racing? It's, it's, it's after the,
1: the Tour de France, maybe more than... Whatever.
0: Bike racing is the best. And I want to see Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingago and Remco Evenepoel doing battle, I'm going to get that opportunity at the upcoming Vuelta España. So we're going to do a little course recon, a little a little recon of the start list. Not a full on, not a full 40 minutes on the subject. We got other things to talk about today that, you know, we're going to we we made time for. But just a little brief look at the route. I, I think in general this route actually reminds me a lot of the Tour de France route which had widely uh, spread out challenges. You don't have to wait till the third week to get the action in this race. There's going to be some action pretty early on at the Vuelta. That's actually relatively normal for the Vuelta that they don't wait that long. But they have some serious climbs in the early goings. Uh, the first big GC day, that was actually on the first day, which will unfortunately, the, the one blemish on what is otherwise a great race, uh, be a team time trial. So if you like oh. cool photos of time trial bikes... <laughs> I'm sure you'll be very happy.
2: Love a team time trial. Don't Um, be that way. If you like
0: any team that's not like one of the top three teams having any chance at all in the race, you'll probably be unhappy like me. Anyway, team time trial start the race off. Third day of the race. There's already a super hard climb in Andorra. That's very exciting for all of the Andorra podcasters out there. (laughs) Uh, The race is going to go up to a climb at Arensal. An 8% finish after having done a hard Cat 1 climb in the run-up to it. That's on the third day. So I think we're going to see plenty of GC action right from the start. There's another really hard Category 1 climb on Stage 6. Uh, the race takes this kind of interesting route. They, they start out in the eastern part of Spain, Catalonia area, Andorra. They head down south to Cartagena. And then they head north. Stage 10 is a time trial, individual time trial, thankfully, uh, in Valladolid in north central Spain and then they make their way in a roundabout fashion towards the north of Spain stopping at the Col du Tourmalet you may have heard that climb another very hard day and yeah and then they finish with some very hard days the Angliru climb which is maybe the maybe the hardest climb that is routinely done in world tour racing it's out of the Zonkalon, right i mean super 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 hard climb and then things will eventually close out with... Well, first, a really, really, really challenging day of, of a bunch of hills on stage 20 and then the sprinter stage in Madrid. All told, like I said, challenges are spread out across the whole course, which is great. You don't have to wait till the third week, although the third week is hard as heck. Uh, there is a team time trial to start it off. Bummer. There is a individual time trial <laughs> in the middle. I would think that Remco, Evanapool, Primoz Roglic, and Jonas Wingago are all going to like their chances on those days.
2: Such a hater. Just because of your hatred of team time trials, your unfounded and slightly ridiculous hatred of team time trials, I will not be attending the first the stages in Andorra.
0: Wow, just for that? Wow. It's wow. got nothing to do with any other races? <laughs> I mean look, if you if you want Yumbo Visma to already have a massive lead after the first stage, <laughs> great. That doesn't really entice me to be interested in this week of racing that would otherwise be very entertaining as they go through beautiful Catalonia.
2: Hey, maybe it rains.
0: I I could, I guess. Yeah, sure. I mean...
2: Then it's chaos.
0: Couldn't you just give it an individual time trial so that we get actually individuals doing their thing rather than relying on their massive budget?
2: But then Remco has the lead, and nobody wants that.
0: What? Remco's dad, my favorite media source over the past month, probably wants that. All right. Let's talk about the favorites. I've already mentioned Remco and Roglic and Vingago. I think the big conversation here is, who is the actual leader? Jumbo said, they're
1: co-leaders. Oh, I've heard that before.
0: And I think Roglic, it's been clear he wanted to race the FWELTA all year. Whereas Vingago was sort of, at least publicly, we didn't know until after the tour. So, I put this question to the crowd, the crowd of two. <laughs> Who do you think actually leads this team? Who is the better place finisher at the end of this race? I think we, I think we probably all agree that Jonas Vingegaard, at his best, is a better rider in the Grand Tours.
2: Yeah, but Roglic is going to be fresh.
0: That's what I'm wondering.
1: I think the same. What is Vingegaard going to be tired from? He's had a month off. Like, he yeah, but be... is he is he in form? You know. Oh my God! I, Has
2: it been a month since the tour? Jesus. Well, because you, you have the, the TDFF
1: at the, at the Tour de France Femme after the that's true, original, which Tour. which he did not so race. It, yes. Right. It feels like weird. it was.
2: If it uh, time doesn't make sense. I mean, I still think that it's that's an interesting amount of time in between races when it comes to form. That's like so hit or miss, and the fact that the third week is arguably the hardest week of the tour means that it favors Roglic over Vingegaard because he might be able to semi-maintain that form going into the Vuelta, but it'll be a really long time to hold it all the way through the whole thing, If, especially depending on how it's raced. I feel like Roglic has the advantage here, but I also think like does it matter? It's Yambo Visma versus Remco. It doesn't matter which one. I don't know if it matters who of them is the leader. It might even be Sepkus, for all <laughs> we know. That guy's got to be tired AF at yeah. this point. My God. Okay, I have but, a couple responses yeah. to
0: what you just said. I'm sure they're saying sure. it doesn't matter who the team leader is because that's what they're paid to say. But I want to know who the team leader is, first of all. Second of all, Sepkus going into his third grand tour. What a beast.
1: Adam Mountain Stage, Adam Hansen is basically like yeah his yeah thing now. exactly
0: and and third, the bookies favor Vingegaard right now and I am one with you Abby I kind of think Roglic is the guy I I I mean yeah I know that Vingegaard if he really 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 wanted to win this race would just blow everybody away but he just raced the tour I don't think this was his bigger target this year obviously it wasn't the tour was Cosmo
1: I I am just I I'm curious as why as to why you would bring both of these riders to a single grand tour, uh, for, for, <laughs> for any reason, um, Fonzies? Hey, I, I mean, well, they, they won the tour that way. I just, I feel week. like, I feel like, uh, you know, both of them have sort of delivered this thus far this season. Like, wouldn't this be a good opportunity to, to try and to develop new talent? Or, you know, if, if one of them is super dialed and keyed in and ready to go and ready to win another grand tour. Awesome. I just, I feel like, I feel I feel like they're like almost like you're going through the fridge and you're like oh look at all these cool ingredients I'm gonna throw something together and like rather than having like a set meal that you're gonna make with a set of ingredients that you already have planned out uh, weird metaphor but like I just you know
0: I like that metaphor
1: I always kind of wonder when I have when like when we have to wonder what the team's plan is I have to wonder if they have a plan at all or if it's just throw some bike some cyclists into a race I.
2: I, I, I <sighs> I think for for Vinigo, it has a little bit to do with going into a Grand Tour without a lot of pressure and just being able to race his bike. I don't think that he's going to have as much mental pressure in the Vuelta as he would the Tour, and that that's one of the reasons that they have him going in. I also think that in terms of developing riders, that is a grand tour is like no longer the place to do that (laughs) unfortunately because of the way that um bike racing is going these days it's just getting harder and harder and faster and faster and every single race means so much now that they're not going to send like a younger rider to be their gc leader at a race like the Volta. it's going to be the tour of denmark like it's just not going to happen if Sepp had not just done both of the grand tours in support of Roglic and Vinigo, then maybe, maybe he would have had a little bit of like, okay, let's see what Sep can do yeah. as a GC leader. But I, but I don't think Yumbo Visma is going to look at the team and be like, okay, we have two of the best grand tour riders of the current time on our team. Who else can we develop it into a GC leader? They don't need to, they already have two of the best.
0: Uh, all right, taking on the Jumbo Visma, jug- Jumbo Visma Juggernaut. As I said, Remco Evenepoel. some of the other names. Juan Ayuso is the really interesting one to me. He finished, what is he, third last year at this race. Uh, he was very good this summer. Looked great at the Tour de Suisse. He's a great time trialist. This team in general knows how to win bike races. I mean, we know that about UAE. And he's got Jay Vine on the squad as well, uh, which... Another very talented, strong rider. He's got Marc Solaire, the most entertaining domestique in the peloton. Will he help you? Will he not? <laughs>
2: oh, man.
1: That's so mean. <laughs> it's true, but it's mean.
0: It's true, but it's very true. We've seen it on video <laughs> enough that I, you know, yeah. it's true. Uh, Joao Almeida, also on that team. Enric Moss. Gary Thomas, a very interesting rider to watch. Richard Carpas, who has done quite well at the Vuelta in the past. Yeah. Do any of these riders have a chance against the Yumbo Visma juggernaut? Abby, you're shaking your head. Why not?
2: As I said, like I really think it's just a Jumbo Visma versus Remco, and that like maybe another rider is going to be able to sneak into the red jersey, kind of like Jai Hindley at the tour. But when it comes down to it, it's going to be Jumbo Visma and Remco at the end of the day. And I think like there's definitely some interesting riders, especially when you look at UAE. But I still don't think that... Teams that are fielding the type of squad that could go up against the combination that is Roglic and Minigo.
1: I just, I kind of hope things don't go as planned. I think this is a great start list. It's a, it's Same. a top, top start list. You know, We're not like wondering who's going to do well. Like we know who the top names are, but I think uh, at least for the last week of this year, uh, the GC race was very entertaining because so much stuff went wrong and not according to plan through the first half of the uh, first two weeks of the event. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of wouldn't mind seeing that here, but I think there are a lot of circumstances that the Giro had that the, the Vuelta is unlikely to have, uh, particularly around weather. Um, but I I am leaning towards Evan the Pool again. I think, I think the... You know, this is sort of his big objective for the season, um, minus, you know, the other things that he won handily. Uh, But this is, you know, this is his chance to do stuff at a Grand Tour. He kind of was robbed of that at the Giro and was never scheduled to do it at the Tour. Uh, So I would expect him to maybe, I hate the phrase, but want it more uh, than Roglic and and Vinigo and just the Jumbo team in general that's had a really good season, except for the Spring Classics, where they were good until they weren't, as Dana's pointed out many times.
0: Uh, Wanting it more... That's some sports talk radio right there. I I, like well,
1: it. you know, it. I think it actually... You know, it, Remco has had, by any standard, an amazing season. He is the world time title champion. He made everyone else look like children at Liège. But the expectations on him are so high <laughs> that it will almost be a disappointment if he doesn't win this. So
2: The problem with Remco is that he's not super tactically savvy. So I feel like up against... Like a two-pronged team, like Yumbo, like he's gonna have a really hard time, especially if they, unfortunately for Dane, have like a foot up already when it comes to the TTT. All they have to do is just outsmart him on all the other stages, which is not going to be that hard for them.
1: Oof, shots fired, Abby! It's, it's, it's something they like doing and have done successfully in the past, so. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's what I mean. I'm. It's not. I'm not dissing Remco. I'm just saying that they're <laughs> very good at it. Aren't
1: you though?
0: A little bit. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I like Roglic. Abby, do you like Roglic for Yumbo?
2: Yeah, I like Roglic for Yumbo. All
0: right. I also think I do think Ayuso is the rider. I think he's he's the potential spoiler here. I mean, that's not like a big out of nowhere thing. He was third last year, but I think he's a very talented young rider someone to watch and someone that I think Spanish fans can get behind uh, and also impeccable English spent a lot of time living in the U S so I love hearing him in interviews. Uh, yeah. All right. Lots to look forward to with the Vuelta. We'll have plenty more of Vuelta coverage, obviously over at escape collective.com. Last thing on the docket today.
1: I don't get to talk about Froome.
0: You want to talk about Froome?
1: Who? I was, I was just going to say that it's you know, the Vuelta used to be the weird race that people who weren't ever going to win the tour one. You know, you've got your Zulas and your Chalabers and your Sean Kellys, all former Vuelta winners. And then for some reason, Chris Froome kept coming back to the Vuelta uh, with relatively limited success year after year after. He's out here winning the Tour de France handily, like making him kind of disliked. And yet he would show up with the Vuelta and try really hard to win it. And only managed to pull it off once after winning a tour de France. Uh, he, Technically, he, he one him. of his he won it twice, but the first time was before he won the tour. Yeah. That was his big like breakout. But I'm saying after yeah. he became Chris Froome as we knew him, he right. kept coming back and only <laughs> managed to win it once. Well, I think he was uh, tired from the tour. A great example of how this race has a great start list always. Yeah, and very good racing. Like it was great to watch him fight and not be super invincible. Um and
0: yeah, that I was, think maybe yeah, the I
1: agree. The start list we have now is sort of a legacy of that. That's all I want to say. I
0: agree. Thanks, Chris Froome, for that legacy. All right, that's the Vuelta. Let's look ahead to the other race, big the other big race. There's one other one I'm going to spend about five seconds on. Abby, let's talk Tour Scandinavia though. What's oh, what, oh. what's coming up at the Tour of Scandinavia?
2: Tour of Scandinavia starts on the 23rd of August in norway uh there's three stages in norway two stages in denmark the first stage is a road race with a couple little poppy climbs at the end but it's most likely going to be like a sprint it looks it looks like the second stage is the first of the gc stages with the the climb that has been in the tour scandinavia slash the tour of norway for a couple years and it was the climb that Cecily Utrecht Ludwig won the whole, the whole race on last year. So that makes its return in the second stage. Usually, it's a little bit later on in the race. But earlier this year, stage three has a couple really fun little category two, category one climbs in it. It's also Norway's stage. And then for the stage four time trial, 16.5K time trial, they move over to Denmark. Uh, pretty straightforward time trial, nothing too exciting there. There's, like, some lumps, but, like, just your standard highway overpass type thing. Not very technical. Start and finish in the same place. And only 16K. So, an interesting distance for a a time trial within a stage race, within a world tour race. And then stage five is the final stage in Denmark with a couple circuits to finish it off. Very exciting.
0: They don't go to... Sweden at all and
2: originally when the race was when the concept for the race was uh thrown around it was kind of a merging of the tour of Norway and the Vegarda Classic yeah but then the Vegarda Classic pulled out and then subsequently can't uh quit women's cycling and um what we got was a tour of Scandinavia that's actually just Norway and Denmark yeah I
0: just feel like you're they're really close to Sweden at one point Just, like, dip in for...
2: I think that they kind of went, like, over the border last year for a little bit, but, like, there wasn't a stage that finished or started in Sweden last year either. I
0: I feel as a completionist that they need to visit Sweden purely to call themselves the Tour of Scandinavia. That's all I ask. All right. Who's going to be there, Abby?
2: Well, the start list is thin and far between, but we do know that Annemiek van Vluten will line up uh, one of her last two races of her career, so really just enjoying every second we have with her while we still have her so she will be there with her teammate emma Norrisgaard, who wasn't able to race last year because she had a broken collarbone from the tour de france femme of zwift so really excited to see emma racing a world tour race on home soil that's going to be pretty exciting um and that last stage looks awesome for her uh jacob lula is the other the only other team with a confirmed roster so far on this fine Sunday evening, and that includes Ruby Roseman Gannon, which is exciting, and St. Esteban, who's riding super well at the Tour, especially climbing really well, and uh, Erska Ziegart, who had a great Tour de Suisse. So, unfortunately, not a lot uh, of other riders on the start list, but Cecily Triple ludwig will also be lining up for FDJ. I don't know who will support her, though, but the defending champion of the race so, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good one. There's a lot of riders that didn't race the Tour that are still hungry for something, and um, a lot of riders that are just really looking forward to beating SE Works.
0: This is sort of a random thought, but August is a really good time to be a Scandinavian cycling fan. You get Denmark, you get the Arctic Race in Norway, you get Tour Scandinavia. You get people from Scandinavia just winning races even if they're not in Scandinavia, like mess Peterson and Hamburg. Uh, a... a Norwegian guy won a Tour on your stage today. Yeah. Anyway, August. Great time to be uh, Norwegian Dane. Last point I'm going to make before I close out the show. Why can't the bike race that used to be called the Enigo Tour just call itself one name and give the sponsor a shout-out in the name as well? Because the Renui Tour... <laughs> Can it be the Renui Benelux Tour or the Eneco Benelux Tour? Because your your race is just never gonna get cachet. There's there's some pretty it's, good riders that are going to this race this week. Jasper Philipson, Arnold de Delee, Mate Mohoric, Dylan Grunewagen, Arnold DeMar. all these people are on the provisional start list. Can't you just come up with a name and stick with it and give the sponsor a shout out? It's not that hard. Okay, rant over. And podcast over.
2: Oh, wow, that was abrupt.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's all you get. All right. Well, all right. did ya. you have other thoughts <laughs> today, Abby?
2: <laughs> it just seems like you should close out the podcast with like a little bit more of like a, like a soothing segment yeah, than gotta, a gotta rant. Down.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like
2: you got, you got to like wrap it up, put like a pretty bow on it or something. You can't just like rant and
0: I got you. All right. Let me see what I can do there. Okay. All right. Rant over. Please go listen to the Wheel Talk podcast and mm. also with the Vuelta Espana coming up, starting in eastern Spain in the Catalonia region, you could consider sipping on a Priorat wine. It's delicious. Uh, it's pretty high in alcohol. So it'll be a nice way to come down a little bit from this ranty end that I've given this podcast. <laughs> and again, go listen to the Wheel Talk podcast later this week. Listen to Placeholders. Listen to Geek Warning. And when you've done all of that, go sign up at escapecollective.com slash join. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. Abby, Cosmo, it's been great talking to you.
1: Thanks, Dave. Great talking with you, Dave. That was was wonderful, by the way. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much. We'll see you next week.